Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.42 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is the 21st of February, 2022. This is episode 548 of Bitcoin. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so with Podcasting 2.0. You can use the Breeze Wallet. It has a podcasting app right inside that little thing. And you can stream me Satoshis while you're listening to these dulcet tones. You can also use the Sphinx Chat app. And if you also so choose, you may use the Fountain app. These are three of my favorite ways to interact with Podcasting 2.0 and the value for value economy. Uh, There are several, okay? Those aren't the only three guys. Those are just the three that I've been using. I started uh, started out using Sphinx Chat, which is super good, and then moved over to using the Breeze Wallet. And now I'm kind of switching back and forth between the Breeze Wallet and Fountain app. The only problem that I found with a fountain app is that it heats up my iPhone. And I've noticed that that, you know, I'm not the only one to notice that that happens on some apps with uh, at least the iPhone, probably on other phones too. So it it really is a battery suck right now for the uh, fountain app. And I'm sure that that's just an efficiency thing that the guys over at Fountain know about and are working on. Um, I look forward to updates in the future where that son of a bitch doesn't burn a hole in my pocket when I'm listening to my favorite podcast. If you are uncomfortable using the Lightning Network to support the show, I have a dirty, <clears throat> dirty fiat way of doing that. That's with a Patreon. Uh, I am on Patreon. That's the Bitcoin and Podcast on Patreon. Again, that's a Bitcoin and Podcast. And I appreciate all my patrons and all the people that uh, stream me sats, either from two, Podcasting 2.0 or the dirty fiat centralized version that is the Patreon. Now, let's get to it. Uh, what's first on the list? It looks like it's going to be Bitcoin and Russia's regulatory drive. It's nothing to cheer on. Yosef Tetik, writing this one for Bitcoin Magazine. Russian authorities recently announced that they aim to ban Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, only to later backtrack with a message that the industry is going to be strictly regulated instead. Curiously, some prominent Bitcoiners have cheered this development, namely the provision of making Bitcoin a recognized currency under Russian law. But, as I'll explain in this piece, there is nothing to cheer for in the proposed regulatory framework. There has been some back and forth between the Central Bank of Russia, Ministry of Finance, and Presidential Office, the result of which is the latest joint proposal for upcoming regulation. The other document that the following text is based on is this, and it's a link to TASS.RU article, citing official sources. Remarks from Russian authorities over the past few weeks speak volumes on how the government views the Bitcoin space. These are the main talking points when the authorities address the topic. 1. Cryptocurrencies undermine the official monetary policy. 2. Flow of funds into cryptocurrencies threaten to disrupt the stock market and decrease the stability of the banking sector. 3. Massive purchases of cryptocurrencies by the Russian population may cause the ruble to weaken. Along with the usual suspects of money laundering and environmental impact and yada yada yada. But the main point of concern seems to be that Russians are discovering a way to opt out of the fiat monetary system, which authorities do not wish to allow. The authors of the latest regulatory proposal understand that it's impossible to ban Bitcoin and attempts to do so would only lead to a strong informal market where surveillance, control, and taxation would be impossible. That's why Russian authorities seem to agree that imposing a strict Regulatory framework instead of an outright ban is the right approach. So, what is the proposed regulatory framework? 1. 
strict KYC, AML, CFT compliance in all aspects of interaction with Bitcoin slash cryptocurrencies. Two, service providers such as exchanges need to obtain a state license. Three, service providers need to store and report all transactional data to authorities and the transparent blockchain system, which is a surveillance company similar to chain analysis. All user data should be kept for a minimum of five years by the service providers. <clears throat> Four, individuals or individual users outside of exchanges should also register their addresses with the transparent blockchain surveillance system. Five, service providers need to sort their clients into qualified slash non-qualified investors with further limitations on actions of non-qualified investors, of course. Attempts at trading outside of the licensed service providers will be fined and or prosecuted. Regulatory bodies will enforce compliance with the FATF standards. Of all, of all countries in the world, Russia kowtowing to FATF is amazing to me, but it is what it is. The proposed regulation aims to legalize the use of Bitcoin but only in a very strict manner, fully consistent with KYC regulations. The idea is that only transactions done through licensed authorities will be legal, meaning that Russians will, would have to send and receive their Bitcoin through banks and exchanges. The regulatory clarity of this kind is actually worse than the current gray area situation, as the only way to legally interact with Bitcoin would be through permissioned gatekeepers. The aim is to strip Bitcoin of its main qualities of privacy, self-custody, and probably even the store of value aspect as authorities would be able to tax or confiscate anyone's holdings at will. A true panopticon. As I've written before, the state's winning move is to leech off of Bitcoin through enforcing a strict regulatory framework. The motive to recognize Bitcoin as a currency analog and subject it to regulatory oversight is quite prosaic. The aim is to bring under strict control that which cannot be banned. For a long time, the problem that the Russian establishment faced was the one of independent donations to the political opposition and dissent, such as Alexei Navalny. This opposition, already stripped of any bank accounts, leveraged Bitcoin in the past few years with limited options for the state authorities to prevent it. Now, with the proposed regulation in place, the donors and the recipients would conveniently be found to violate new laws and could be further prosecuted. The proposed regulation is for the benefit of the authoritarian state, not of the citizens. The state is not our ally. Quote, the competition of social power with state power is always disadvantaged since the state can arrange the terms of competition to suit itself, even to the point of outlawing any exercise of social power, whatever in the premises. In other words, giving itself a monopoly, end quote, says Albert J. Nock from Our Enemy, the State. Bitcoin is a subversive technology. The state may attempt to leverage it, e.g., to overcome sanctions and the threat of being cut off from the international payment systems such as SWIFT, but in the long run, Bitcoin undermines the state's power as it eliminates the ability to print and control money and perhaps even to tax any economic activity as all personal accounts can become private. This is why in the long run, the state is never a Bitcoiner's ally. It's tempting to get excited about a geopolitical power recognizing Bitcoin and seemingly aiding in its adoption, but it's important to realize that state bureaucrats and politicians will not do the hard work for us. If we want to see Bitcoin succeed as the tool of empowerment in the hands of sovereign individuals, we need to build open source tools and promote their use, whether the state sanctions it or not. Again, Yosef Tetik writing that one for Bitcoin Magazine. <clears throat> yeah, I know. It's, we're starting today off on a somber note. I get it. You know, if you look at the price, yeah, we're we're here again. You know, I think this is my well, I, can't, I can't even remember how many times I've been here before. It's it just gets to the point where you get a little bit numb about it and just realize that you you know got to go, you know, focus on other things. And I think this this article brings to the fore what the good focus should be on for the people that can. It's not everybody, but the people that can. I hope that they start building the privacy tools that we need because this kind of shit isn't going to stop. 
It's just not. You're just going to have to deal with it. All right, all of us are, not just you, but me and everybody else listening to this and all the people that don't listen to this and all the people who are not yet Bitcoiners. We all have to deal with it. Here's, here's the saving grace for me, is knowing that the architecture of Bitcoin is open and the fact that the network itself cannot be stopped. The network runs no matter what the price is, no matter who's buying, no matter who's selling, whether it's Elon Musk, whether it's, you know, somebody like huge, like, you know, a huge state like Russia getting into it, Naib Bukele, it doesn't matter to the network itself. The only thing that's impacted at that point is, is price, but one Bitcoin always ends up equaling one Bitcoin. <clears throat> so price in fiat terms is sort of like, it's losing its luster, honestly. It's just a, it's becoming a, it's becoming what it, it's becoming to be known at what it really is. It's a bad metric, man. It's a terrible metric to compare Bitcoin to. What are we, what are we comparing Bitcoin to? Are, is it the price or is it the fact that the network can't be stopped? Where's the real value there? In my opinion, it's that it's part of the network that can't be stopped. And since it is, the code base is open to everybody. The nodes are open to anybody who wants to run a node. It seems to me that that invites, if not completely initiates the following situation. No matter what regulatory frameworks are put in place by any nation state, Somebody somewhere is going to be able to look at the code in an open fashion and say, how can I completely make the regulatory framework of say Russia either inadequate or ineffective? What can I develop that makes it impossible for these people? Like they, it's like, okay, well you've, you've buy like, let's say I'm Russia and somebody does what I it comes up with something and like literally codes it up in 24 hours. It's a pull request on GitHub for, for Bitcoin core. And everybody goes, Holy shit, this is, this is great. I, I know I'm being really optimistic here. And, and the pull request is then merged into the, the code. And then we all update our nodes and it completely destroys Russia's regulatory framework and, and a whole bunch of other nation states. Well, they're just going to re-regulate. And it's going to be this continual battle. And the people that are on the front lines are the people that know how to code and know how to come up with ideas that somebody else can code that will continuously destroy all of the efforts by these people to regulate Bitcoin. They will continuously regulate Bitcoin, but those regulate regulatory frameworks will just fall one by one by one over time as we go out through the future. And that's, I don't think that that's ever going to stop. Somebody, somewhere, even if it's like, it's illegal to, to help code for Bitcoin Core. Okay, stop the guy in, you know, some basement in Guatemala, you know, that's, that's half drunk and coding his, his living ass off and his, his connection is through, uh, you know, Tor or something like that. I, I'm not that Tor is, you know, a magic pill to hide everything. I'm just saying, if there's thousands of people that are doing it, I don't see how you stop it. And with the amount of pressure that states are putting on sovereign individuals, we're just getting more and more angry. And after a while, that anger turns into resolve. And after a while, that resolve turns into somebody who's painting their face white and blue, half and half, carrying a flag in front of a bunch of troops, screaming his ass off and filling these people's hearts with a desire to just say, fuck it, I'm willing to die. Because we're, I think we're at this, we're, we're very close to this point where people are going to start being just willing to die. What's going on in Canada is, is, has become beyond frustrating. And by the way, that whole Bitcoin thing in Canada, <clears throat> the trucker Bitcoin and the, the, the uh, doxing of wallet addresses. And some people are saying, oh, they seized your wallet. It's so easy to seize your wallet. No, they, 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 all they can do is say, this is an address that we think is associated with the Bitcoin. This was going to happen with or without Bitcoin. Right? 
the all the motions that you see of all the people around the world, they are they were going to do this anyway, well before the inception of Bitcoin. If you don't understand that, I can't help you. I wish I could. But this was going to happen anyway. The crushing of protests in Canada was going to happen with or without Bitcoin. It was going to happen with or without Nobody Caribou, Greg Foss, BTC Sessions, doing jack shit. It was going to happen. So just understand that. And let's now move on to Georgia. And I'm not talking about the United States state of Georgia. We're talking about Georgia in the former Soviet Socialist Republic. Georgia punches well above its weight for Bitcoin mining, as per a report. Joseph Hall has it for Cointelegraph. At first glance, the pint-sized Republic of Georgia is an unlikely suspect for Bitcoin mining activity. An underdog for mining, the country boasts abundant hydropower, while ranked seventh worldwide for the World Bank's Ease of Doing Business Index, ahead of the United Kingdom and Germany. Nestled on the Black Sea at the intersection of Europe and Asia, Georgia hosts Bitfury's industrial mining operations as well as smaller solo miners that tap into enormous amounts of hydroelectric power. The country packs a punch for Bitcoin mining, while the Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index puts Georgia's hash rate at a mere 0.18%. A detailed and long-term report by Arcane Research suggests the number is closer to 0.71%. Jared Mellerud, an analyst at Arcane Research and author of the report, told Cointelegraph, quote, Home mining is big in Georgia, especially in regions with subsidized electricity. As long as there are electricity subsidies in certain regions of the country, people will continue setting up small home mining operations, end quote. <clears throat> the report identifies at least 125 megawatts of crypto mining capacity, 62 megawatts of which derive from industrial scale data centers. The remaining 63 megawatts should then come from lots of small amateur setups scattered around the country in homes, garages, abandoned warehouses, and factories. Mellerud concluded that the real number for Georgia's total hash rate is in the region of 0.71 because, quote, 100 megawatts of Georgia's 125 megawatt total crypto mining capacity is dedicated to Bitcoin and that Georgia's hardware is as efficient as the network average, end quote. It is multiples higher than CBECI's 0.18% estimate he added. However, while the trend of Bitcoin miners moving to untapped energy resources, cheap energy, or merely cost-efficient places to do business is not new, it is a double-edged sword. In nearby Kazakhstan, which recently hosted as much as 18% of the global hash rate due to cheap power and loose rules, Regulators are already considering stepping in, proposing power price hikes and taxes. Melarud is aware that despite Georgia's business friendliness, rising electricity prices could deter miners from setting up operations. He told Cointelegraph, quote, I don't believe the Georgian government wants more mining operations in the country, as miners are already using almost 10% of the country's electricity, contributing to the country's growing electricity deficit, end quote. <clears throat> Mellerud added that for industrial scale mining, I believe there is no room for more capacity. Instead, home mining miners with units under one megawatts may continue to flourish, despite calls that residents of Sfanti in Georgia must swear a holy oath to St. George to stop crypto mining. The country on the whole has a positive attitude towards the emerging asset class. Small-time crypto enthusiasts can continue to use Bitcoin mining waste heat to warm their homes in the mountains using Georgia's abundance of cheap and clean hydroelectric power. So there you go. Georgia now on deck. Going to another Georgia, we got Bitcoin Magazine's Namsios. Uh, Illinois and Georgia wants to give tax cuts for Bitcoin miners. Yeah, well, will they last? That's my question as always. U.S. states are keen on Bitcoin miners and see tax cuts as the best tool to attract them. Illinois state legislation first filed in January that this week picked up a co-sponsorship from Democrat Senator Julie Morrison in seeking an extended data center tax incentive program to Bitcoin mining farms, the block first reported. Now, bipartisan Bill 3643, filed by Republican State Senator Sue Rezin, would amend the Civil Administrative Code of Illinois to include data centers 
engaged in Bitcoin mining and bring them under the state's 2019 tax incentive program, encouraging the establishment of new farms. A Bitcoin mining farm would qualify for the program provided it makes an investment of at least $250 million, creates at least 20 jobs, and achieves carbon neutrality or green building certification, among other requirements. Georgia is following a similar path as lawmakers this week introduced legislation that would incentivize Bitcoin miners to set up shop there. Georgia House Bill 1342, introduced by a quintet of Republican state representatives, aims to exempt the sale or use of electricity used in the commercial mining of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. The state has done everything in their power to grow Bitcoin, Executive Chairman of Bitcoin mining company CleanSpark, Matt Schultz, told Bloomberg earlier this month. Quote, at the end of the day, Georgia wants this business there. Georgia has emerged as a go-to destination for miners among the states that are welcoming the industry, mainly due to its low power prices and a large amount of nuclear and solar power, the Bloomberg, Bloomberg report said. Georgia's favorable regulation and low energy rates have led Bitcoin mining machines to flock to the state, a trend that is set to increase steeply in the event that the new law gets enacted and further brings down cost to install Bitcoin mining operations. So, you know, the United States marches on with Bitcoin mining. The problem is, is that all the legislative uh, language around it is always about data centers. What does that mean? Well, <laughs> that's an easy way to go seize a shit ton of miners. I'm not saying that the United States would do it, but I ain't putting it past them either. I mean, it's not exact. This ain't exactly the most regulatorily friendly place on the face of the planet. You know, it's, it just happens to be the last that hasn't really done stupid things. <clears throat> And I kind of expect them to. I really think that you know, decentralized mining is what's going to be the long-lasting harbinger of doom for all of these people. Because they won't know, they won't, even if they know where they all are, they won't really have the manpower to be able to scoop them all up because they can move. They're small. That's the thing that my dad used to tell me, do not get locked down by your iron. And what he was saying was that the amount of infrastructure that you wrap around yourself, whether it be as a, just a person and like, you know, you got a mortgage or something like that, or, you know, if you move, you have to take all your shit with you. And the more shit you have, the more shit you got to take. And it's a real pain in the ass. And he had a really good point. You know, my dad <clears throat> was basically speaking to light armored infantry where you want to be able to be mobile and you want to be able to move fast, but you want to have enough firepower to be effective. And if you can balance those three things, then you're golden or at least as golden as you can be. And it doesn't mean you're invincible. A data center, that's not easy to move. So I am like, my heart is really towards the smaller miners, especially miners that understand that mobility in the future is going to be key. Now, a new bill. We have yet a new bill to make Bitcoin legal tender in, of all places, California. I would have never thought in a million years that I'd see anything out of California that would even resemble this, but... It's a new day and it's Monday and well, here we are. Uh, who wrote it? Oh, good Lord. Uh, looks like Leon Sigmund wrote this one for BitcoinNews.com. <clears throat> California could make Bitcoin legal tender. New bill introduced by political advisors. An expert, Dennis Porter and political advisor ENC Calderon have collaboratively drafted a new proposal that would possibly make Bitcoin official legal tender by their own opinion. After Arizona and the island of Tonga have recently hit the headlines with a possible move to make Bitcoin legal tender, the California bill could disrupt the legal tender race once again. On February the 19th, Calderon tweeted that, quote, together, Dennis Porter and I are working on a bipartisan effort to legislatively explore Bitcoin as legal tender in the state of California. More to come. 
Critics aren't far, and a Twitter user replied promptly that the bill does not make Bitcoin legal tender, but would rather just be a provision that potentially allows people to pay tax in cryptocurrency. This is already a fact in other states and wouldn't be a big game changer at all. Another comment revealed, and this is from our friend Neil Jacobs, uh, that's at Neil Jacobs on Twitter. When the candidate running for U.S. Congress fact checks the influencer, thanks for the clarification, Erica. And he's got a screenshot of Erica Rhodes, who is indeed running for, I, I guess, Senate or Repub uh, House of Representatives or something. Uh, Erica Rhodes writes, uh, people are asking me about this. If this is the bill he is referring, it states, quote, a state agency may accept cryptocurrency as a method of payment for the provision of government services. It is not suggesting making BTC an official legal currency. Yeah, we're falling into, into this trap a lot lately, guys. Porter added a link to his tweet, which redirects to a petition hosted on a Voter Voice, an advocacy tool to influence policies and educate lawmakers. The petition seeking to raise support and donations is printed in its unabridged form below. <clears throat> Crisis can be a good time to be creative and California is on a steep decline. Having one of the highest tax rates and a growing number of socialist regulations, the state has lost its attractiveness. An ongoing brain drain not just makes talent move out, but more importantly, money. Even the most attached to the Cali lifestyle make a move and say goodbye to Malibu and hell yeah to Miami. While Miami Mayor Suarez has bold plans to turn Miami into Bitcoin Mecca, Eric Garcetti, mayor of Los Angeles, is start struggling with heaps of hobos in the streets and looted cargo trains. Could a harsh change in policies be the solution? I don't know, maybe. I Again, we are continuously falling into this trap where all these states, you know, in the United States and like some other, you know, sovereign nations have been putting out, you know, statements in the wind that say that they're going to allow people to pay taxes in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, uh, namely shitcoins. That does not a legal tender make. A legal tender is what they did in El Salvador, and it's very, very different. So we need to need to be very careful about what we're vetting lately. And I'm I'm guilty of it. I'm I'll raise my hand, dude. I'm I'm guilty of of spreading stupid shit too. But I'm trying. At, at least I know that at the at this point, especially, we need to be extra careful as to what we propagate around. So here we go. This one is, in my opinion, one of the funniest ones. And if you don't already know about it, uh, listen up. The Federal Reserve bans officials from trading stocks and crypto following an ethics scandal. Matthew DeSalvo has it for Decrypt.co. Senior staff at the Federal Reserve will no longer be able to hold cryptocurrencies among other assets such as stocks, according to an announcement today. I'm going to pause right there. As bad as it is when you think about the Federal Reserve and their officials being able to hold stocks because they know they have all the insider information except like discussions going on at the corporate level around the board table, but they know that sooner than you and I will. I mean, this, so this makes sense, right? But how the hell can you not hold stocks? I mean, it's, it, as a person who wants to invest in the future, does that mean that it's like, well, if I you know, want to be able to have any kind of portfolio whatsoever, I sure as shit can't go work for the Federal Reserve. This is why I don't think that behind the scenes, this is actually going to ever happen. I believe wholeheartedly that these guys are still going to hold stocks, bonds, cryptocurrencies, and what have you, but we're just not going to know about it. It's going to be under the table. You... You see what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, it'd be like coming up to me and well, if I'm working at like Texas Tech University and say, I don't know, man, you're a state employee. You can't hold stocks and bonds. And it's like, well, what the fuck am I going to, you know, do for retirement? You know, for me, it's Bitcoin. But if I'm just an average Joe that doesn't do all that stuff, what am I going to do? So it's, this is just kind of weird, but let's, let's move through it. In a Friday statement from the Federal Open Market Committee, the branch of the Fed that determines the new direction of monetary policy, the new rules laid out for investment and trading activity of senior officials. 
The FOMAC said that senior reserve or Federal Reserve officials can no longer buy crypto individual stocks or sector funds or hold investments in individual bonds, agency securities, commodities, or foreign currencies. They also can't enter into derivatives contracts and engage in short sales or purchasing securities on margin. Quote, the rules, which were first announced in October 2021, aim to support public confidence in the impartiality and integrity of the committee's work by guarding against even the appearance of any conflict of interest, said the FOMAC. <clears throat> the rules were introduced as a result of increased security over the U.S. Central Bank. A number of high-ranking Fed officials last year made headlines and later resigned after their trading activity emerged, which we never heard from again, by the way. One official, Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas President Robert Kaplan, made multiple million-dollar-plus stock trades during the pandemic when the central bank was working to introduce measures to help the economy. In October, Senator Elizabeth Warren described a culture of corruption in the central bank because of apparent conflicts of interest. Jesus. Officials governed by the new rules will have 12 months from the effective date of the rules to dispose of any holdings, while newly covered officials will have six months, the statement said. The rules will take effect May 1st, 2022, except that the requirement for advance notice and pre-clearance of transactions will take effect on July the 1st, 2022, added the statement. The new rules will apply to, a, to board members and reserve bank presidents, reserve bank first vice presidents, reserve bank research directors, FOMAC staff officers, the manager and deputy manager of the system open market account, board division directors who regularly attend committee meetings, and any other individual designated by the chair, and to the spouses and minor children of these individuals. Uh, I wasn't aware that a 14-year-old could trade stocks. I guess I guess because it's Robin Hood. It, we live in a Robin Hood world now, and of course they can, but that just seems a little weird. Anyway, screw it. Let's run the numbers. Flammable liquids doing just fine. West Texas Intermediate up three quarters of a point to $91.74. Brent North Sea up half a point to $94.04. Natural gas, however, knocking it out of the park. 7.18% to the upside lands it at $4.75 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline up 0.15% to $2.67 a gallon. Gold, however, slipping, but only a little bit, 0.06% to the downside to $1,898.70. Silver down three quarters of a point, $23.82. Platinum is up a third, copper is down a half, and palladium is up a full point. Agricultural futures are mostly down. Coffee, the biggest loser at 2% to the downside, followed by cocoa. 0.64% to the downside, followed by sugar, which is 0.62% to the downside. Uh, cotton is actually up 1.27%. Uh, All the rest are actually listed as unchanged. Dow down 0.42%. S&P down half a point. NASDAQ down a full point. S&P mini down one third of a point. Real money is low, $37,495. 206,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours is, wow, that's low. 8,600 transactions every hour on the hour with a mere 491,000 BTC changing hands in that 24-hour period. That equates to 20,500 BTC every hour on the hour in movement. Average transaction value is 2.38 BTC, and the median transaction value is low, 0.013 BTC, or just under 500 bucks. Block times are high, 11 minutes and five seconds, 0.05 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 6.62 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. We have had a 5.05% drop in hash rate and back below 200 to 195.4 exahashes per second. Uh, shitcoin indicator as usual is Doge, 13 and one half United States pennies. 4,000 transactions are waiting on eight blocks to clear. 
we're back down to $713.5 billion in market capitalization, which is a scant 5.66% of gold's entire market cap. Yet we can still buy 19.6 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,964,346.14 in circulation. 3,457 and a half of those are locked in the Lightning Network valued at $130 million being run over 20,013 nodes boasting 85,828 payment channels. 76.2% of all of it's being run over the Tor Network handled by 11,559 Tor nodes that we know about and that's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. We're going to start this one off with Bitcoin's political breakthrough raises questions about its regulatory future. Mike Hobart has it for Bitcoin Magazine, and we're going to talk. It talks a bit more about legal tender and states accepting and all that kind of stuff, but it's a good piece. Is it actually possible for individual United States states to establish Bitcoin as the legal tender currency? Arizona State Senator Wendry Rogers seems to think so, based on the submissions like SB 1341 that she crafted and introduced late last month, aiming to establish Bitcoin as legal tender in the state of Arizona. Meanwhile, Texas Governor candidate Don Huffines has promised to recognize Bitcoin as legal tender if elected. But while there's a growing interest in state leaders adopting Bitcoin in this way, there might be some obstacles, namely the first clause in Article 1 in Section 10 of the United, United States Constitution. Quote, No state shall enter into any treaty, alliance, or confederation, grant letters of mark or reprisal, coin money, emit bills of credit, make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts, pass any bill of attainder ex post facto law or law impairing the obligations of contracts or grant any title of nobility, end quote. As of right now, it seems that individual states do not have the capability nor the power to establish a newly acceptable form of legal tender within the Union of the United States. So that's a bit of a buzzkill, but it's clear that we are making significant progress in mainstream acceptance of Bitcoin, sparking interest by American politicians and legislators, and spreading like wildfire. Quote, the key piece here is not whether it will pass or what impact it will have in Arizona, explained Dennis Porter, a podcaster focused on the intersection of Bitcoin and politics. The true impact of this bill is the fire that it has ignited. Other states and legislators are now looking at this as a potential option for their state as a way to protect themselves from a runaway federal government. It also means that Bitcoiners as individuals need to become careful and much more critical of what our politicians claim and promise. The game theory that we have been discussing within our circles for years is playing out almost precisely as we expected. Politicians and other public figures are realizing the power behind garnering support from the Bitcoin community. Not just because of the excitement around price action, but also due to the sheer numbers of the voter base within the borders of the United States. This voter base reaches across all party lines. Anyone is capable of garnering support from all angles. Quote, States need to begin adopting Bitcoin today so that they can begin the process of protecting themselves from the federal government unplugging them from the overpowerful national financial system, Porter said, quote, it's a win-win plan for any state to adopt Bitcoin. It gives them more autonomy over their future. Another recent development at the intersection of Bitcoin and politics can be found in a bill introduced to the United States Congress by Representatives Susan Delbean of Washington and David Schweikert of Arizona on February the 3rd, 2022. This Bill in particular is aimed at introducing a workable structure for taxing purchases made with virtual currency, such as Bitcoin. One of the greatest hindrances to Bitcoin adoption by the general public is its feasibility as a currency for routine purchases, as it is more closely treated as a stock or other long-term investment from a tax perspective in the United States. 
Del Bean and Schweikert aim to alleviate this bottleneck by providing an exemption from taxes in the use of Bitcoin as a currency where capital gains amounted to less than $200. Quote, it's a great way to normalize the whole track your buys under $600 thing, said Ant, the pseudonymous author of Bitcoin Blockchain Data Dashboard Time Chain Stats. Accounting is a nightmare and hardly anyone knows their cost bases. <laughs> This is true. However, as national politicians attempt to normalize and increasingly regulate the use of Bitcoin, even if that regulation is meant to increase adoption, they will inevitably challenge the project status as something parallel to and outside of the national system. Quote, most importantly, bills like this will end up doxing a lot of Bitcoiners, both directly and indirectly, and warned. While a bill like DeBean and or Del Bean and Schweikert's may be viewed as a boon to some individuals who take portions of their salary in Bitcoin, it also provides a stepping stone for potential abuse of financial surveillance powers, not just immediately, but into the future, which is a very important worry amongst many in the Bitcoin space. Bitcoiners should be cautious around how quickly we are seeing these social and powerful figures flock to the re revolutionary asset that is Bitcoin. It would behoove all of us to take pause, catch our breath, and reflect before two potential scenarios play out. One, we rush to regulate an asset that is wildly misunderstood and provide roadblocks to those we aim to protect. And two, we rush to support and uplift politicians who hoist the Bitcoin standard in the desire to reach regulation of the asset before the regulatory windfalls are well guarded or we have established understanding so as to avoid inviting weakness within the system itself. Our world moves fast, but we don't have to break things. When it comes to state adoption, being a slow mover can be a blessing and not a curse. This, I wholeheartedly agree with Mike here. As we said in the, you know, as I was talking about in the first part of the show this morning, the whole notion of, oh, California's going to make it legal tender. No, you can pay your taxes with it, which basically means that you're getting less Bitcoin at the end of the day and the state's getting more and they probably just sell it on the open market. So you're giving them Bitcoin for taxes is depressing your future, your price action. If we are still in that mindset of uh, price action of BTC as it's compared to fiat currencies and not one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. What, what, is, what is known about that situation is this. If one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin and you give some of your Bitcoin to somebody else, you have less Bitcoin. That's all that really, that's all that really needs to be said about that. You're getting less. We should be, in, in fact, we should be re, stupidly careful with these people. And I've said it before on several different shows. <clears throat> Just because somebody says, oh, well now I Bitcoin, vote for me, is probably one of the most dangerous things that you could do. I mean, you know what's happening? What's happening is that the population of at least the United States and most likely the rest of the world are being trained without even our knowledge of how to be better journalists or how to be a journalist at all. Where, I mean, there are people out there that never went to quote unquote journalism school that are understanding how to, not only that we have to, but how do we go about vetting people that say certain things? I think that, honestly, I think it's a good thing. I would have never thought of myself as having to learn journalistic tactics and ethics and stuff like that, but again, it's Monday and here we are. Intel unveils the second generation Bonanza mining chip for efficient Bitcoin mining. Arjit Sarkar has it for Cointelegraph, but a great big disclaimer. If I read this article correctly, I'm not so sure what all the hubbub is about. It looks to me like this Intel chip that has been I don't know, it was put on a fucking pedestal for the last couple of months. Looks like it's a big nothing burger. If I'm wrong, please feel free to lambast me on Twitter and anywhere else that you so choose. I, I can take it. Computer chip manufacturing giant Intel has shared details of a new mining chip that will be coupled with a high performance 
3,600 watt miner with the ultimate goal of improving Bitcoin mining efficiency. So Intel reveals its second generation BTC mining setup during the IEEE International Solid State Circuit Conference 2022, a conference dedicated to the electronics and chip manufacturing industry. According to the company, Bonanza Mine, or the BMZ2, is an ultra-low voltage, energy-efficient Bitcoin mining ASIC that can deliver 40 terahashes per second. As Cointelegraph reported, Intel's patent related to high-performance Bitcoin mining dates back to November of 2018, which proposed to reduce overall power consumption by approximately 15%. Intel representatives at the time showed confidence in competing against established players including Bitmain, MicroBT, and NVIDIA. Quote, Intel has done design work around SHA-256 optimized ASICs for several years, beginning with pathfinding work done in Intel Labs, end quote. The BMZ2 chips are expected to follow an architecture similar to its first-generation mining chip, the BMZ1, wherein over 300 chips powered by a 3,600-watt miner work together to deliver up to 40 terahashes per second in a balanced environment. Intel's next-generation BTC miner will be able to deliver a balanced performance of 40.4 terahashes per second by drawing 2,293 watts of power, recording a low energy consumption of 56.97 joules per terahash. Okay, let's, that's an important number. 56.97 joules per terahash is what's coming out of the BMZ2. When compared to Bitmain's hardware, the Antminer S19J ASIC Bitcoin miner consumes 3,100 watts to deliver up to 90 terahashes per second at room temperature, resulting in an efficiency of 34.5 joules per terahash. In addition, the hardware will also have the option to operate in high-performance and power-saving modes to optimize the energy cost ratio across various degrees of mining efficiencies. Intel has yet to announce a date for its official launch during or along with the technical requirements of the second-generation mining setup. So let's go back. That's the end of the article. Let's go back to this paragraph that talks about the efficiencies. 40.4 terahashes per second by drawing 2,293 watts of power. That is 56.97 joules per terahash efficiency of the BMZ2 chip. That's Intel's new chip. But it looks like the S19J has a much better efficiency at 34.5 joules per terahash. So... Like I said, unless I'm reading this the wrong way, I very well may, but I don't think that I am. It looks like the S19J pretty much blows the brand new Intel Golden Goose chip right out of existence. So again, if I'm wrong, please let me know. And also please let me know why I'm wrong. Because this looks like a huge nothing burger to me. But we got better fish to fry. How to get fined $100 million and call it a win. Daniel Roberts, Decrypt. BlockFi isn't the only company that offers high-yield crypto accounts. Celsius, Nexo, and Eco all offer something similar. But BlockFi is the first to reach a settlement with the SEC that requires it to register its products as securities. On Monday, BlockFi confirmed a report from last week that as part of the settlement, it's going to pay $100 million in fines to the SEC and 32 states. The details sound pretty grim. In addition to the fine, BlockFi must stop signing up new customers in the United States until the SEC says it can. It must meet the requirements of the SEC's Investment Company Act within 60 days, and it must seek to register future lending products with the SEC. Yet to read BlockFi's version of the events, this was a landmark revolution or resolution that, in the words of CEO Zach Prince, is yet another example of our pioneering efforts in securing regulatory clarity for the broader industry and our clients. Thank you, BlockFi. From the perspective of crypto investors who want the government to stop protecting them from making more money, BlockFi's peacocking is not unjustified. After all, when the SEC threatened to sue Coinbase for its planned Lend product, Coinbase immediately shuttered the product and BlockFi soldiered on. What 
happens next will determine whether BlockFi wins in the end, but it'll take months or maybe years to play out. First, BlockFi playing nice with the SEC puts pressure on its peers to do the same. If BlockFi gets the SEC to approve a, approve a form of high-yield crypto lending, it will take a huge lead over competitors who would scramble to catch up. BlockFi would look back on the settlement as a small setback on the road to victory, much like DraftKings and FanDuel, the sports betting operators that settled with the New York State Attorney General in 2016 and are now industry leaders. One crypto project in particular can attest to how slow the SEC moves. Blockstack, which raised $47 million in 2017 through an ICO to accredited investors, then held off launching its token for two years until it could conduct the first SEC-approved Reg A Plus token sale in 2019, when it raised another $23 million. It took another two years before the company, now called Hero, came out and declared its Stacks token is not a security because it is sufficiently decentralized in the eyes of the SEC. Now the Stacks blockchain is heating up, but many think it lost precious time as many non-compliant rivals sailed through without holding the SEC's hand. There's still a worst case scenario. The SEC never approves anything close to the product BlockFi, Celsius, Nexo, and Eco want to offer. That's the scenario SEC Commissioner Hester Pierce envisions. In a statement on the SEC website, she dissented with her colleagues on allowing the settlement and wrote that she expects BlockFi's S1 approval process to take longer than it would for more traditional filings. She added that even if and when BlockFi gets its S1 approved, it must leap through another regulatory hoop the Investment Company Act, and she thinks 60 days or even 90 days if BlockFi gets a 30-day extension is extremely ambitious. That doesn't sound encouraging, but all the red tape does allow BlockFi to stick to the branding that it is heroically putting in the hard work on behalf of hodlers everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, paying a $100 million fine, which is yet another slap on the wrist. And what's the, what's the, if you read between the lines on this, what's the real news? The real news that I see is that this is how the SEC and private companies, they end up in bed together, sort of like picking up, you know, a single, you know, go into a singles bar and picking up somebody for a one night stand that turns out to be a lot longer than that, right? So if BlockFi pays a hundred million dollars, If they can get their approval, then they will actually start fighting for a regulatory moat. They will start helping the SEC and not hindering the SEC because legacy thinking. This all boils down to legacy financial thinking. We've been programmed for decades. We got it from our parents and our parents got it from their parents. I'm gonna stop it like at my grandma, right? But we're teaching our children pretty much the same way. This it's You're brought up in, in some environment. Your environment is going to be part of who you are as you get raised from a child to an adult, and it's going to stick with you for the rest of your life. And worse, it's going to be transferred to your children if you choose to have children. And you don't even know that you're doing it. It's not like you got a book somewhere from the United States government of how to fuck your children up before they're five. No, it's just the way that we are. It's just the way that, well, most of us, not every single person, because breaking out of this line of thought is extraordinarily difficult. It's like trying to regulate your own heartbeat, and it takes Tibetan monks a lifetime to learn how to overcome the ventricular node in their heart and get it to do what they want it to do rather than what the node itself wants it to do. That's a training on a level that you don't, we don't quite understand. And the same thing is going to be true for financial legacy thinking. It, it goes into everything we do. It doesn't even have to be money. It could be how we decide that we want to mow the lawn. It could be anything, but we are stuck. We are stuck in this world. So let's, we got to do everything we can to get out of it. But again, going back to this hundred million dollars, it's a slap on the wrist. And to me, it's like buying a ticket to be friends with the SEC and go into their show and get in a backstage pass so that you can give them the songs that you think they should be writing for their next album. And they probably will because that's the way the legacy financial system works.
I guarantee you BlockFi will be, if they get past all this and they get their S1 filing and they get through the corporate act and all that shit, guarantee you they are going to be enemies of Bitcoin. They kind of already are for various reasons, but be that as it may. Credit Suisse data leak reveals decades of shady clients and activity. They cert it certainly does. Brian Newar, Cointelegraph.com. New York Times reported on Sunday that the data leak included more than 18,000 bank accounts. The data goes back to accounts that were open from the 1940s until all the way up into the, 19, the 2010s, but not current operations. Among the account holders holding millions of dollars in Credit Suisse were King Abdullah II of Jordan and Venezuela's former Vice Minister of Energy, Nervis Villobos. King Abdullah II has been accused of misappropriating financial aid for his own personal benefit. While Viobos pleaded guilty to money laundering in 2018, other sanctioned individuals also held accounts at Credit Suisse, as the New York Times wrote, quote, other account holders includes sons of a Pakistani intelligence chief who helped funnel billions of dollars from the United States and other countries to the Mujahideen in Afghanistan in the 1980s, end quote. Banteg, the lead developer at Yearn.Finance, leading a decentralized finance yield farming platform, tweeted on Sunday, quote, Credit Suisse AML happily hosted human traffickers, murderers, and corrupt officials, end quote. Commenters took note of HSBC, another huge international bank that has paid hefty fines for aiding serious international criminals. <clears throat> yes, <laughs> yes. Although there are laws in place that prohibit Swiss banks from accepting deposits from known criminals, the country's famous bank secrecy laws make it easy to evade, if they are even enforced at all. This has seemingly made Switzerland an inviting place for criminals to do their international banking. The New York Times wrote, quote, the leak shows that Credit Suisse opened accounts for and continued to serve not only the ultra-wealthy, but also people whose problematic backgrounds, Hunter Biden, would have been obvious to anyone who ran their names through a search engine, end quote. The irony of a major traditional financial institution aiding high criminals was not lost on the cryptocurrency community, which has battled against accusations of abetting criminals for years. The hundred billion, and that's billion with a B, in deposits outlined by the data link dwarfs the $25 billion estimated by chain analysis to be held by, quote, criminal crypto whales as of 2021. The bank has denied any wrongdoing, but the centralized clandestine way in which Credit Suisse has operated contrasts with fully transparent blockchain technology. Such transparency may also mean that investigators and law enforcement can keep tabs on individuals and governments that are trying to evade economic sanctions in real time. So there you go. Credit Suisse doing what they've always done. It's, you know, this is why everybody wanted a Swiss bank account. They thought it was cool. They thought they were all, you know, and most people wanted to get a Swiss bank account when it was like, you know, in the seventies and eighties, it was all the rage. I got a Swiss bank account. It was simply to just offshore your cash and, and keep it safe somewhere else that nobody knew about. But the real story is that Credit Suisse has been laundering money for the fucking mob and drug dealers and human traffickers for decades. That's the truth of the matter. And guess what's going to happen? You're right. Nothing. OpenSea CEO Devin Finzer responds to $1.7 million phishing attack. Kate Irwin has it for decrypt. Last night, reports surfaced that NFT collectors had been losing NFTs in Ethereum from wallets. OpenSea has now confirmed that what happened was a phishing attack, which saw over $1.7 million in assets shifted to the malicious wallet, which is now labeled Fake Phishing 5169. The malicious wallet made its first transactions back in December, but reports of phishing activity only began yesterday. This wallet also has been engaging with another wallet that's been marked as part of the OpenSea phishing scam. In the past 24 hours, numerous NFTs from collections with high floor prices have been transferred, such as Bored Ape Yacht Club NFTs, Cool Cats, Doodles, and Azuki NFTs. The fake phishing 5169 address also has made transactions via rival NFT marketplaces rareable and looks rare. NFTs, we don't need, yes, we know what NFTs are, they're bullshit. 
A few hours after the news broke, OpenSea CEO Devin Finzer said, quote, We have confidence that this was a phishing attack. We don't know where the phishing occurred. End quote. But the company believes that the attack didn't come from OpenSea's domain and that no legitimate OpenSea emails nor the OpenSea site banner led to that attack. Oh, you're so safe. <clears throat> quote, Minting, buying, selling, or listing items using OpenSea.io is not a vector for the attack. In particular, signing the new smart contract, the Wyvern 2.3 contract, is not a vector for the attack, said Finzer, also clarifying that OpenSea's list, uh, listing migration tool was also not involved in the attack. Quote, we're actively working with users whose items were stolen to narrow down a set of common websites that they interacted with that might have been responsible for the malicious signatures, he added. Finzer said that while there have been intermittent pauses in the act, uh, attacker's activity, OpenSea is continuing to investigate the situation. He also confirmed that a thread by Twitter user Nesso is consistent with his understanding of what happened. Nesso said that those who lost assets signed one half of a valid Wyvern order, which is a decentralized exchange protocol that can execute asset transfers regardless of the source of the attack some are confused by the transactions i can't imagine why for example why did the phishing scammer send 50 ethereum to naterivers.eth after taking some of his assets and then returning them and why are some destination addresses hidden by the tornado cash proxy but some aren't to prevent unwanted NFT and Ethereum token loss, it's best to revoke access via Etherscan's token approval feature and consider moving valuable assets to a hardware wallet. This is ridiculous. This just continues to go on and on and on. And last night when this shit first broke, the number looked like it was going to be $200 million. And I don't know, nobody really knows, I think, what the actual number is. So we'll just we'll go conservative and say that it's, you know, a couple of million dollars worth of, of NFTs. It doesn't matter. It could be $400 million worth of NFTs. Don't buy NFTs. It's been proven over and over and over again that this shit is all insecure and you're vulnerable. And if you're using this stuff to store wealth, you're just going to get your wealth taken away from you. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. My grandma is 80% Irish. People call her Iris. Let you chew on that one. That was dad says jokes as usual. It is Monday. We do need a good laugh. It's been a, it's been awfully hard, you know, ride since November. My heart goes out to all of you. It goes out to myself as well, but you got to keep the faith. That's the issue. We've, we've been here before. Now, I know that I've, I've probably got a couple of new listeners that haven't been through this before, and it sucks. It, it, when it's your first rodeo, getting trampled by the bull is one of the worst feelings you'll ever, ever have. And this is why I recommend doing the following. Daily cost average. Do not go max out a credit card at the top of the market, which you don't know is the top of the market. At $68,700, nobody knew that that was the top of the market. Yeah, I know. There are people that say, oh, well, fuck, I knew it. And that's when I sold out. No, you didn't actually know it. You just thought that maybe that was it. But I guarantee you there were people at 65,000 as it was going up to 68,7 who said, you know what? I'm done. Uh, this is the top of the market. This has got to be the top. There were people at 64,000, 63,500, 62,000, 61,000, 60,000 as we were going up that were calling the top of the damn market. Nobody knows the top of the damn market. The only person that can claim that they did is the person that was lucky enough to sell the absolute top. This is why I DCA. I daily cost average. I buy a certain amount of Bitcoin every single week. I've been doing it for years. I do not go mortgage my house. I don't take a second mortgage on my house. I don't max out credit cards. I don't go to the bank and get a loan so that I can buy what could potentially be the top of, of a, local, a local top or even a cyclical top. If the, the thing that I'm getting at here is long-term. 
We have to be long-term thinkers. And that's easy to say. It is the hardest thing to do because of our financial legacy mindset that we were all all indoctrinated with. And it doesn't matter how young you are. If you're listening to this show and you're 12, first of all, find another show (laughs) because I use a lot of language in this show and you probably shouldn't be listening to me. But even at 12, if you were born, if you were born today, if you were born right now as I'm speaking and some baby somewhere was, that baby is going to be indoctrinated in the legacy financial way of thinking. There is no escape. The only escape that you can do is to try to find a window to what is the real world and not the financial legacy mindset. And my window and my doorway is DCA. You can do that with Swan Bitcoin. You can do it with Cash App. You can do it with Strike. You can do it with River Financial. These are the four companies that I think are good Bitcoin companies. Yes, there will be people who are saying, no, they're not. And I have proof. I get it. I get it. I get it. I don't have that proof. I just look at these four companies as pretty damn solid Bitcoin companies that were started by pretty damn solid Bitcoiners, except for Cash App, which was started by, you know, Jack Dorsey, who was not a Bitcoiner at the time that he started Cash App. He came along later, but I use it. It's okay. There are problems with it. All of these services are KYC. If you want to get into non-KYC stuff, there's BISQ, B-I-S-Q, and there's HODL, HODL. Go look at those two. But in either event, taking large lump sums of money that you're going to end up being responsible for and shoving it into cryptocurrency, even Bitcoin, is a terrible idea. And the minute that I say that, somebody will say, you know what, maybe you're right, dude. Maybe I, I'll call the banker and tell him to go ahead and scrap the uh, second mortgage notice. And then guess what's going to happen? The price is going to go up and you're going to be mad at me. It, it, there's no way to win in the market because it's all boiled, it all boils down to timing something that you have no ability to time. To mitigate all of the, those issues, daily cost averaging, 25 bucks a week, 100 bucks a day, $1,000 a week, $10,000 once a month. It doesn't matter. It's whatever you're comfortable with. But mortgaging your house and taking 50 grand over to Coinbase and buying it all in Bitcoin or whatever is the worst idea ever. Please, please, please don't do that. Now, if you want to support the show, you can DCA directly to me. I won't be giving you any Bitcoin back, but you can stream sats to me through podcasting 2.0 if you have to know and also if you're not comfortable with lightning network and all the the stuff that goes along with it and it's it's not hard and i highly recommend learning all that you can about it especially during these times these times are the times to build you can uh support the show through patreon that's patreon forward slash bitcoin and podcast patreon forward slash bitcoin and podcast and i will see you on the other side This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.